It's Tuesday, the 7th of January, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, as tensions mount between the United States and Iran, just how close is military conflict? We'll ask Dr. Lena Khatib, head of the Middle East and North Africa program at Chatham House. Despite the unpredictability of President Trump, there is also a limit as to how much any action he authorizes is meant to provoke Iran. Also ahead, why one city in Kentucky is hailing a new future for its public transport network. And our affairs editor, Christopher Cermak, looks at why world leaders are getting younger. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Tonight, breaking news as we come on the air. The president's new warning to Iran, plus vows of vengeance. Tonight, massive mourning in Iran and new threats. We are going to begin, of course, in the Middle East after tensions between Tehran and Washington escalated exponentially the most powerful military leader in Iran, General Qasem Soleimani, was killed on Friday during a U.S. airstrike on Baghdad's airport. It marks a major escalation in tensions between the United States and Iran and led to many predictions of all-out military conflict between the nations. Dr. Lena Khatib is head of the Middle East and North Africa program at Chatham House. Lena, relations between the US and Iran have been tense for well over a decade now. Washington has previously referred to Soleimani and his officers as a terrorist group. But how did things escalate to this extent? The relationship between the US and Iran has been deteriorating for a while. And the legacy of this starts with the era of President Obama, actually. The issue is that at that time, the United States focused on the nuclear issue when it comes to its relationship with Iran, but ignored all other aspects of Iran's activities in the, in the Middle East in general. And when President Trump came to power, he was adamant that uh, he was going to look at Iran from a, a wider lens in which the nuclear issue is not isolated from Iran's wider activities. And of course, Iran uh, was not uh, welcoming of this uh, turn of events, especially after the United States withdrew from the nuclear agreement with Iran. And since then, sentiment against the United States has been growing in Iraq led by uh, pro-Iranian militia leaders and politicians in Iraq. And at the same time, Iran increased the scope of its activities in the Middle East. And Qasem Soleimani in particular was uh, the figurehead who was playing a very important role in this expansion. So Iran, for example, had very active militias operating in Iraq, the popular mobilization forces. It was increasing its scope of operation in Syria. And of course, it had uh, trusted uh, allies and proxies like Hezbollah in Lebanon. And all of uh, these entities were flexing their political muscle, not just military muscle. And I think ultimately the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, a statement on Twitter by the Ayatollah of Iran, Khamenei, who said to uh, President Trump regarding Iran, you cannot do anything. And this was swiftly followed with uh, the killing of General uh, Qasem Soleimani by the United States, which was, of course, uh, a shock to Iran because the tweet from the Ayatollah basically indicated that all these activities that I've talked about and all this escalation was not ultimately being taken very seriously by Iran. 
as things that would catalyze an escalation in the response of the United States. So what we've seen now is a very serious response from the United States, which is aimed at resetting the way Iran has been handling its relationship with the U.S. in general. It certainly paints a very stark portrait of events to consider that this might have all been sparked by something that took place on social media. Uh, When asked, it does seem that uh, various White House officials have been reporting that, yes, intelligence did show that there was an imminent threat and that was the reason for the attack. On uh, that, that resulted in, in the death of Soleimani. However, when asked again whether the killing of Soleimani means that threat is now over, the response has been no. So where does the death of Soleimani put things now? Has it only made tensions even worse? Well, the killing of Soleimani was not going to stop Iran's activities in the Levant. Iran continues to operate as it has always done. It still has its militias, for example. It still has its clandestine networks and soft power uh, strategies that it is employing. But the killing of Soleimani was meant to send a strong message to Iran that the United States remains stronger in this relationship. Uh, U.S. intelligence is watching um, Iranian Uh, movements in the region, that Iran should not feel too comfortable uh, in Iraq, uh, thinking it basically runs the show. Uh, I mean, one indication of this is that Qasem Soleimani himself had just landed in Baghdad on a passenger flight coming from Damascus. It wasn't even a military jet. So that gives us a hint as to the level of uh, complacency or comfort uh, that uh, Iranian officials uh, were feeling in a place like Iraq, which of course was not going to be something the United States was going to simply turn a blind eye to. And so the killing of Soleimani heightens tensions, but it will not stop Iran's activities in the region because they're not tied to just the activities of one man. Lena, I was looking at a report in the Washington Post by the journalist Greg Miller. Now, he writes that presidents on the brink of war tend to rely on an array of assets in the Oval Office, uh, them being teams of experienced advisers, trusted sources of intelligence, and so on. Now, for President Trump, he writes, those assets might be in short supply. When we consider the way that President Trump has handled his presidency, and certainly his dealings with Iran, is there any way of knowing just how the United States is going to navigate the very delicate diplomatic tightrope walk that lies ahead? It's become very obvious that President Trump is highly unpredictable. But one thing is clear, the United States does not want to attack Iran militarily. If you think about it, it could have been the case that Qasem Soleimani was assassinated in Iran itself, but the United States did not do that. What I'm saying is he could have provoked Iran a lot more. So here we also have to be careful not to kind of let our imagination run too wild in in, in the sense of trying to imagine what President Trump might do next. What we're likely to see is a lot of posturing by both sides, but I think neither wants full-on war with one another, neither the US nor Iran. And although the killing of Soleimani was a military measure, ultimately it was meant to send a political message to Iran. And I think the next step, hopefully, should be a diplomatic standoff rather than a military one. This morning, we could be on the brink of a new kind of major conflict in the Middle East. And we'll likely see Iran 
ramping up its nuclear enrichment in the coming days, putting an extremely dangerous problem that our administration had solved and put on the back burner back on the table. Shortly after Soleimani's death was reported, former Vice President Joe Biden spoke at a campaign event. Yesterday, the US House of Representatives returned after the holiday break. Almost immediately, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced plans for a war powers resolution that would limit the president's ability to carry out military action in Iran. Meanwhile, the Iranian-backed Hezbollah threatened to block oil supplies traveling via the Gulf to the United States, while several international leaders, including the Saudi Crown Prince, continued to call for restraint. To Kentucky now, where one city's transport future seems to be finding its wheels. Monocle's Nick Manise has the story. Nick, tell us about Louisville's bold new plan. So Louisville, which is a city on the Kentucky and Indiana border, a population of about 600,000, they have decided to introduce bus rapid transit along one of their busiest corridors. It's the Dixie Highway, which takes about a tenth of the city's commuting population along it. And and what they've done is they've introduced, uh, they spent about $35 million to introduce priority stoplight system and, and special lanes that essentially prioritise buses over all other transit along the highway. Nick, do you think we could yet see more cities changing lanes when it comes to how how they see their public transport evolving into the future. Is this idea going to be catching on, this idea perhaps that, you know, maybe it's not just about buses, but maybe it's also not just about trains or the subway or even light rail. It's actually going to be a combination of various different things. Yeah, certainly. I, th- I think they all feed into each other. And and I, I guess the thing for me that I that I found particularly appealing about this story was that bus rapid transit is, is great because it is obviously prioritising uh, public transit, uh, but it's also relatively cheap to implement and fast to implement. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the down, downfalls with riding on a bus is that it sways and it, and it probably doesn't have the carrying capacity of, of a light rail vehicle. But with those advances in technology, as, as we move forward, we're, we're going to see stuff like uh, trackless trams appearing, which basically is all the best things about light rail, the things that we find appealing about it, the, you know, the sexiness of the, of the vehicle uh, and its carrying capacity. And it's taken that and basically put it on a bus-like system. So, we don't have to we don't have to retrofit these these uh, you know light rail networks like we, we would previously. Instead, we can just take a bus rapid transit lane and pop a trackless tram on top of it. Nick Manise, perhaps Monocle's only staffer who would describe a trackless tram as sexy. Thank you for joining us. And finally today, Monocle's affairs editor Christopher Sermak looks at why so many of the world's governments seem to be undergoing a generational shift. Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin became the world's youngest serving state leader last month when she was sworn in at age 34. But she hasn't kept the title for long. Today the mantle will be passed to Austria's Sebastian Kurz. And despite being just 33 years old, this isn't Kurz's first stint as Chancellor. He's been re-elected after the collapse of his last government in May. As in Finland, it's not only Austria's leader who has youth on his side. The whole cabinet in Vienna is getting a generational makeover, not to mention the government filling half of all positions with women. The country's new justice minister is a 35-year-old former Bosnian refugee. The minister for Europe is also 35, and the new finance minister is 38. Much of the focus of these new governments has been on gender, in the case of Finland, or party coalitions in the case of Austria, 
where Kurtz's conservatives engineered a swing from a partnership with the far right to an accord with the Greens. But age shouldn't be ignored either. As a 30-something myself, one who, like many of my generation, occasionally wonders whether my elders have spent my entire pension and soured the planet, I suppose I should be pleased that I'm now well-represented in government. But it also leaves me with an odd feeling. If I'm not leading a country in my 30s, what have I done with my life? More seriously, I do wonder whether I'd really be ready to have that level of responsibility thrust upon me now. Is anyone ready at my age? Sure, our politics need refreshing, but is a youthful leader really going to deliver change in a more responsible way? Time will tell whether the young are really capable of responsible government. Finland and Austria are the testing grounds, and there might be one person watching this experiment more keenly than most. Pete Buttigieg, at 37, the U.S. presidential hopeful, is practically a veteran. And that's what's making news. Catch up with our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Wednesday. Wednesday.